So, welcome to Blood Force Drama. This is going to be OCD episode number five. And today I have with me my friend Dustin. How's it going, guys? Uh, he's going to help me out with this episode. Uh, we're going to talk about some stuff. Now, unfortunately, a lot of the stuff that I have um, down to talk about is since it's been so long since I've done one of these, it's kind of like out of date. So, bear with me. And after we get done talking about all that, we're going to talk about role playing games. Specifically, from the perspective of someone who doesn't play role-playing games, like Dustin over here. Unfortunately, I do not know <laughs> barely anything about role-playing games. Yeah. Well, um, I guess to start off, first thing I want to talk about is um, the innies that went down at Gen Con. Um, I know Pezo walked away with like eight of the awards. That's because they're awesome. <laughs> Dustin, you know who Pezo is, right? I'm not familiar with him, no. Pezo is... It's a lot, though. I'm, cons- I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it's a lot for him. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Pezo is the publishing company that makes Pathfinder. Oh, nice. Uh, and specifically, the thing about Pezo is they used to be the publishing company for Dungeons & Dragons before they went to 4th edition. Oh, okay. So all of the old stuff they made during the 3rd edition was published by Pezo. And then so after... You know, Wizards of the Coast stopped using them. Pezo was like, well, we've already got all the equipment, and we've yeah. already been making your stuff for fucking years and years and years. So they were like, we're just going to re- we're going to pe- release Pathfinder. Huh. So now they've got their own game, Pathfinder, which is just third edition D anD. d Right, right. Yeah. So Please. now they're doing such a great job. They walked away with eight awards at Gen Con, um, which you know it sucks for the other companies, but you know Pezo deserves it for doing such a great job. Yeah, on I their products. Imagine. Now. Wouldn't I mean? Is that like an is that a good amount of wins? Yeah, I guess like so. I mean, I'm not really too familiar with the innies. Okay. Um, let's see if I can find out. I mean, you'd think it'd be great. I mean, that's like Titanic win right there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so the innies is like the Academy Awards for role playing games. Yeah, I'm not really sure who holds it either. Okay. Um, they won best publisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the one that's really coming up. I don't know. This is from like two months ago, so I can't find where I got that information at. I got you. Whatever. Moving on. Um, also, though, at the Innies, um, Role Playing Public Radio won Best Podcast. So, congrats to them. Congratulations. They totally deserve that also because uh, I'm a huge fan of RPPR. <laughs> I listen. <laughs> I listen to RPPR all the time, and uh, it's like one of the reasons I started making this podcast was because of RPPR. So once again, congratulations to them. Another thing I wanted to point out is this is old. Unfortunately, I think it's already basically passed by the time this will be po- like posted. But there was an HP Lovecraft movie fest, um, which sounds pretty awesome. It was in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it was at the Warner Grand Theater, and it was a three-day event, and they were going to be showing, you know, movies and television specials and stuff like anything that had to do with the uh, Cthulhu Mythos by H.P. Lovecraft. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So that sounds like fun, but like I said, I think the today being the thirtieth is actually the last day of the fest, so it's a little late getting to that. It's all right. Better yeah. than never. Maybe they'll have it next year though. I'm sure they will. Yeah. Speaking of how big it is. So, D&D Next. Um, they are in their second phase of testing. Um, it's an open play test, and you can get the stuff for free. 
you just got to go to like the D and D Next website. Um, the thing for the second um, iteration of the playtest, though, is you have to register with the website, basically to sign a um, NDA. But the NDA basically says that you can't talk about the the game itself for profit, but for any other reason, you can talk about it. So this it's kind of like you know, it's kind of weird. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if you want to check that out, they've updated the playtest. That was about a month ago, so it's not really news. But uh, Roll20.net has gone live. It is no longer in beta. Um, it's you know free to play. It's open to the public also. But now you can go there, and it's actually up and running. Uh, they're about to release an update for it that does dynamic lighting, which is pretty sweet. You saw this, right, Dustin? Yeah, I've actually checked it out a little bit, but... Oh, I don't have a laptop to actually check it out anymore. Yeah. It's just a virtual tabletop. Where you yeah. Play. So do you know about bronies? Bronies? Yeah. Explain. You don't know what a brony is? Um. Uh, okay. All right. This is not even on the list of things to talk about <laughs> on the podcast. Bronies. That's how you laugh. Bronies. Uh, bronies. Yeah. Are male dudes who are fans of the My Little Pony Friendship is Magic television show. Whoa, 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 what? Yeah. Yeah, the um, My Little Pony television series, uh, their fan base of dudes who like that show are called Bronies. Wow. Yes, I know. Uh, but the thing is, it's like, like, they have Brony Fests and stuff. And Brony I think actually you talked to me about this. Was it last night or some they, other night? No, it wasn't last night, but I probably did talk to you about it. Yeah, you it. mentioned it to me at one point. Yeah, the thing about bronies is, like, I guess a lot of people don't understand bronies. And what bronies are, are they're just internet trolls. Right. Right? And you'll hear people go, like, no, that's not true, dude. They're actually, I mean, the show's pretty good if you watch it. You know, it's got good animation. I don't understand, you know. Why can't you just let us, you know, enjoy our show? Because you're an idiot. That's yeah. why. Because... You, you, like, see, this is the, they're the best internet trolls ever because what they've managed to do is not only piss off people by talking about My Little Pony, yeah. but they've also convinced people to believe that they're a real thing and therefore those people call themselves bronies and go to brony conventions. <laughs> All yeah. they are, they've, they've, they've trolled both sides of the spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> because it doesn't matter. How good a show My Little Pony is. It's not. It's not something that you call yourself a brony and go to brony conventions for. Yeah, I mean, are they adults or like grown yes. men fucking watching? Yeah, yeah. watching yeah. My Little Pony. Yes, yes, it, it's a real thing. That's what that's that's called. That's called being a pedophile. Look <laughs> <laughs> at that shit, dude. Brony conventions. I mean, look at that guy. What? Why does this happen? <laughs> Who thinks this is okay? I mean, women, yes, I can understand, but but guys? Even women, no. You need to be like a seven-year-old girl. Yeah. Literally, literally. literally. You need to be like I a mean, seven-year-old okay, girl. Okay, okay. If you're 25 <laughs> to 27 years old, well, actually, I take that back. If you're two to 27 years old, it is okay. <laughs> if you are a female... To like My Little Pony, but if you're a dude around my age, 27 years old, you should not be. It should not be okay to watch this show whatsoever. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> that guy has a pink tail. 
Alright. Alright. Let's just let's, let's stop talking about this yeah. before I go out. Alright. So we're done talking about D and D next also okay. or roll twenty dot net. Okay. Um so Monty Cook um has, is releasing a new sci fi ish game called uh Numera- Numenera. Right. Numenera. <clears throat> yeah. And uh do you know who Monty Cook is? It sounds familiar, but refresh my memory. <laughs> Monty Cook is basically the person who wrote third edition Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, yeah, because I remember you mentioning it to me before, also. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he um, is a big name in RPGs, and I think he's he's worked on fourth edition. He's worked on Pathfinder. He's worked on a lot of games. Okay. And he has his own um, he has his own publishing company. I don't remember what it's called. But I was listening to an interview with him one time, and the guys were like, "Why didn't you just call your publishing company Monty Cook Games?" Yeah, <laughs> because your game, your name is so well known. And it's, he was, and it's actually a pretty cool name, Monty yeah. Cook. Yeah. I mean, who has that name? It's a good name. And so he was like, "Well, I don't know. I've had a lot of people tell me that I should just use my name, and maybe I should have. But yeah. by this point, I can't. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's also a new uh, source book for All Flesh Must Be Eaten caught out." It, it, a new source book for All Flesh Must Be Eaten called Band of Zombies. Okay. And it is a source book for World War Two. Anything that has to do with zombies, epic. Dude. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to put that I out there. I love All Flesh Must Be Eaten. And yeah. I have two ideas for a game that I want to run. One of them is going to be more like high-powered and like, the, mod, the zombies are going to be badasses, but also so the you know the players are going to be too. It's going right. to be a bunch of like shooting and blowing away zombies. And the other one I want to do is going to be a traditional. You're just regular people, and you're in like I want to have like regular like shambling, brain eating zombies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to do one of those, but I don't ever have time to run games anymore. So and I want to kind of do one that's even like campaignish that the continu- the characters continue on. You know, if they survive. Yeah. And so you have to, like, survive in a world of zombies. Like, The Walking Dead. So yeah. Sounds pretty cool. Sounds like something I want to do, but... Yeah, I don't have time. <clears throat> um, then there's the Dungeon and Dragons documentary. Dude. Which looks awesome. Um, I actually watched that trailer of the documentary for Dungeons and Dragons. You actually posted it on your wall on your Facebook. Yeah. And I was highly impressed. It looks I, really good. Yeah, I was. I, I really want to see that. To be honest with you, not knowing much about Dungeons and Dragons would probably help me know a little bit more about it. Plus, it also talks about, from what I see, it also talks about how much people thought it was witchcraft. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like it was nowhere near it. It was just a bunch of people having fun, like a game. You know, what I mean, it's like now. Yeah. People playing video games. That's how it was in the whenever it first you know was created. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, there was a back in the eighties or a big you know yeah witch hunt. Going of course, on. PS3 and 360 right now are it, it's witchcraft. So I mean, you know, it's kind of the same thing, right? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's pretty much the same. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the documentary uh, it's been funded. I should also mention that the the the, the Numenera, mm-hmm. that Band of Zombies, and the Dungeons and Dragons documentary were all on Kickstarter, and they've all been funded and are being made. Oh wow! Uh, so yeah. I'll, uh, all that stuff is going to be incoming pretty soon. Um, I know the Dungeons and Dragons documentary. Like I, I gave them money for the Kickstarter, and um, they've been sending me like a lot of emails, f- updating me on it and stuff like that. But I'd wish they stop because they've sent me like thirty emails. Yeah, and it's like I don't need to know every single little nuance of the of the movie. Just get it done so I can watch it. Yeah. So yeah. 
But um, talking about how I didn't have time to run games, I've uh, come across some new uh, books. I have recently picked up. Well, these were actually gifted to me by Josh uh, for his uh, being his best man at his wedding. Okay. Um, I have uh, monsters and other childish things, and uh, 40k Dark Heresy. You see. Um, so I'm kind of excited around both of these. I would like to do maybe like a campaign for this Dark Heresy, though I don't think I ever will. Right. And I'd also like to do... I don't know if I want to do a campaign for monsters. We'll have to see, but it looks interesting. And yeah, they look really cool, actually. Do you know anything about this game, Monsters? I don't. Okay, let me... <laughs> monsters and Other Childish Things is a game in which you play as little children who have pet monsters. Okay. And so you, pull, you have to, whenever you make a character, you have to make a co- the kid and a monster. Right. And uh, the monster has... Every monster has the ability to hide... Okay. And I got—I don't just mean monsters. I mean like these are mind-bending horrors from out of time and space. They're monsters. <laughs> it's but, not like yeah, you know, monsters it's, not, it's not Pokemon. Monsters, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the monsters are um, for, like they're like emotionally bonded to the child because I guess they feed off the kids' emotions okay. or something like that. So like they are literally the kid's best friend. Oh yeah, and like they do everything in the power to make the kid's life better. Wow. Even if that means doing monstrous things like eating people. <laughs> <laughs> now, how old are the like? You have to be the children. There's there there's basically three different levels: um, elementary age, middle school age, or high school age. Okay. Now the thing about monsters is like adults don't have monsters, right? And the reason is is because like I said, the monsters basically feed off the the kids' emotions, and as an adult. You have managed to like seal off your emotions and guard your heart, yeah. so that emotional things don't affect you anymore. Yeah. And one of the good example they have is that like you you can actually attack people with words in that game. Right. So like, you can say like really mean things and be a bully. Yeah. And that'll actually affect people. Um, and you can do like mental damage to another character. The thing is, is that if that character has a monster and you do mental damage to them, the monster takes you- one point of physical damage for every point of mental damage the kid takes. Okay. And so you're probably going to piss off the monster. Yeah. <laughs> you're probably going to get eaten alive. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, but as adults, you you manage to, like, words don't hurt you anymore. Right. You know? So, and, like, one example they take is that, like, when you, when you, if, like, think back at a time when you were a kid and you were, like, 10 years old or something like that, and, you know, you're one of your siblings or mother or something says something really mean to you. Yeah. And how much that hurt. Hurt your feelings really bad. Right. And like then think about the same time like when you were that age and you skinned your knee and how much you can't remember that pain. Right. Yeah, the the emotional pain lingers long after than the physical pain does. Right, right. So yeah, it's a pretty interesting looking game and like you 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 put your children either in like elementary school or high school and I like the concept of the game. It's actually really, really interesting. Yeah, and it also uses a um, different system called the um, one roll engine. Yeah. Where you have a dice pool and you can succeed like okay, so there's like two different ways to succeed. It's called a width and a height. Okay. And what you're doing is so you roll those dice and you're looking for matches. And so like the higher the number is a match, that's the height, mm-hmm. and the number of matches is the width. Okay. So like the width usually is like um, how much speed or strength was put into it, whereas the height is how accurate and well done it was. Right. So having a really high, <clears throat> having a high height and a high width is optimal, but if you can just pull off a high width. Rather than not having a high height, you'll you'll do something fast or 
before someone else did it. Okay. Or if you have a high height and a low width, you'll do something more accurately than someone who did it. You know. Yeah. So there's yeah. a different. There's a really intricate way of like how different things can happen. So it's pretty cool. I'm really. I've never played it before, so I'm interested in playing it, and seeing how that works. It sounds really badass. Yeah. I mean, if you end up getting something started on that, you let me know. I probably end up coming to join. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Main character. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that after all of this. Right, right, right. Um, so the next thing is uh, some uh, studio called Weta Workshop. They make stuff. Mm-hmm. They sent Valve an actual working <laughs> turret from Portal. Valve, like the... Video game yeah. designer. It's actual working... Yeah, it doesn't have guns, but... Like, this is them unpacking it. And it's like a, it's like a crate from Aperture. Uh... Which is Aperture Science from the Portal game, you know? Right. And then they pull it out and then wrap it and unpack it and set it up. Oh, that is really cool. Yeah. But it, it works? Yeah, it works. And it has motion tracking capabilities and everything. You know, and it talks to them. Yeah. It's pretty cool. That is really awesome. Does yeah. It, does it sound like? Yeah. Yeah. Here, I'll play a little. Your uh, sound is off. That is cool. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And I don't think, you know, I don't I don't think Valve, like, you know, bought it or anything. Just, like, one day they got this crate in the mail. So, it's pretty cool. That is really cool. Yeah. Valve's come a long way. Dude, Valve, dude, I saw this thing on, it was like, if Valve, if, 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 if video game companies were your friends... This is who they'd be. Yeah, Valve. Did you see that? No, I. I mean, I can. I can imagine. It, it had like EA. EA was your rich friend who yeah. would be around whenever he wanted something like that. Yeah, and, like, and he, he was a football player. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think it was Blizzard. No, no, no. It was Bioware who like makes like Skyrim and Fallout. Yeah, they were like your smelly hippie friend who's, oh, who's yeah. always going out hiking. <laughs> and Valve. Valve was like your best friend who takes care of you in any way possible that he can. Yeah. It was like the most per- like perfect person in the world. I mean, just look at it, though. Yeah. I mean, Portal is a, an amazing game. Every single thing that the Valve does is amazing. Like, yeah. Like, Left 4 Dead. Yeah. You know? Like, I remember talking about them in, in ninth grade or whenever yeah. we first started playing video games online. I was... Now they're just freaking everywhere. Yeah. Everybody knows about them. Yeah. Not to mention just their, you know, distribution stuff for Steam. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Good job, Valve. Um, let's see. What else we got next? Oh, uh, Water on Mars. <coughs> I think it was the last episode. I was talking about the uh, Curiosity rover was going to land on Mars. Mm-hmm. Well, they have found an ancient river bed on Mars. Uh, it's pr- scientists are saying it's proof positive evidence that flowing water once existed on the red planet which you know means there's probably going to be fossilized life because that is that is really cool yeah so that's cool that is pretty cool yeah there's a bunch of bunch of cool stuff that happened recently um such as uh we measured a black hole what yeah uh we measured a black hole where is that at? how big was it yeah <laughs> Fucking humongous! Yeah, like it was a seven billion times the size of our sun. Holy shnikes! <laughs> yeah, that's huge. Yeah, is that it right there? Um, I had the damn. Here it is. Uh, so what? But let me tell you about how they did it. So well, I knew a couple years ago that they were experimenting. Like, so there's like a limitation of like what a telescope can see. Right. Even though they build these huge ass ones, you know. 
And one of the reasons is it has something to do with like the turning of the planet or like atmosphere and all these different like things. Okay. And so what this what they were wanting to do was basically network together all of these observatories all over the planet so that they could fire them all up at once and use mm-hmm. them as one giant observatory. Okay. And that's what they managed to do and that's how they got this measurement. So basically one entire side of the planet was one giant observatory that they were using Looking shoot out in space, check shit out. Wow. Yeah. So, um, they measured this thing. Um, it was like 45 million, no, 54 million light years from Earth. Yeah. Um, and it's the home of a, a supermassive black hole. Uh, millions to billions of times the size of the sun. Um, and this thing was like so huge and it's like big and spinning because it's not an actual hole. Yeah. So check this out, like, Whenever you're in school and you're learning about the universe and stuff, one thing they never really mentioned to you is that we can't account for like 78% of the universe. Yeah, we yeah. We don't know where it's at. Yeah. It should be there, but we can't. And that's the yeah. idea of like dark matter. It just means it's dark and we can't see it or something exactly. like that. Exactly. And so there's also the theory of black holes and how they have like a they have gravitational pull and they they bring in so these black holes were theorized they were like literal holes in space time uh-huh. and that's why um, light was like leaking into them because light bends into black holes but that's not what, why the reason is is because they're so fucking big right that they have such mass and such gravitational pull that the fucking gravity pulls in light yeah and light doesn't have any mass and that's the reason that light can go to the speed of light <clears throat> so this thing is like that's like it's so big and it's like spinning and it's like shooting off quasars which are like um they were described to me as ba- basically being mini galaxies huh. um right here it's saying that they're energetic and distant active galactic nucleus so it's like shooting off these quasars so like these black holes may possibly be the point of creation yeah you know it's like and it's like Times bigger than even our solar system, like even our entire solar system, it's Holy bigger shit. than that by numerous times. Right. So it's quite interesting that we've finally managed to find this thing because it's not actually like if it was an actual hole in space time, that'd probably be a bad thing. Yes. <laughs> That's narnar. Yeah. <laughs> and like, like speaking of space time, like we've actually, um, I think it was back in '94, this guy was theorizing a way to create a machine. That would be able to break the speed of light. And okay. Be able to like, in the way it would do it, would it would be it would bend space time. Yeah. Um, and so they were like, yeah, you know, that would actually work. The problem being is the amount of energy that it would take to fucking power this thing would be like the size of the sun. <laughs> like you'd have to have like that much power. Yeah. And so recently at a scientific conference thing, they were talking about it, and. Uh, this guy was like, well, if we took that design and we changed it like, like like this a little bit, then it would actually be more feasible. And everyone just, like, jaw-dropped. And they were like, wow, that's totally fucking plausible. So we are currently working on a way to break the speed of light by using a warp drive. And uh, it's like they're currently fucking turning, like, particles and bending space-time around them and trying and, like shooting them faster than the speed of light. Holy crap. So, probably space travel is not that far away. No. We'll probably, we'll maybe see it in our lifetime. Yeah. And, um... I hope so. So, like, the 
the amount of energy that it takes is still going to be quite significant, but it's not going to be unreachable. Right. The best part about it is, is once you've actually because of the because of physics, once you get it going that fast, uh-huh. you can like the amount of energy required just starts dropping to the point where you don't even need energy anymore to continue fucking flying up to ten times faster than the speed of light. So like, even if something was fifty. Like fifty light years away from us, if we could go ten times the speed of, speed of light, it would still take us five years to get there. Wow, it's still pretty quick though. Yeah, really quick. Yeah, and so that's cool. <laughs> we were gonna go faster than the speed of light. <laughs> um, Bacon storage, qubits. Oh. We're gonna do qubits. Okay. Um, you know what a qubit is? Nope. A quantum bit. Um, currently. There are a couple of things that are holding back computing. Um, one of them is uh, the speed of light. Right. Where our, our processors and stuff that we've created are able to process stuff so fast that one of the biggest limitations, the limitators we have right now is the speed of light. Like, we can't get the data from point A to point B fast enough. Wow. Um, and and then one of the second things is, is because of how basic and primitive the system is where it's just based on bits that are either on or off it's just one or two one or zero right 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 now um so if we could get to the point where a single piece of information could could, could, could hold more information than just being on or off right then we would be able to send more information at once and kind of help out with the speed of light exactly you know? yeah that's what a quantum bit is a quantum bit has been created. Uh, as far as I know, up to this point, we've only made one. One. But it is basically an electron, and I think it holds like up to four different bits of information. Okay. Or I guess, well, I'll say bit, I don't mean the computer term. Right, um, right, right, I understand. So that's like, from what I, I don't really know how to understand exactly, but it's like, it has four positions. Okay. Rather than just one or two. So you can, maybe it's even more like a DNA, because DNA is made up like a three different, like, or four different different elements and that, was, that creates like all of DNA on Earth right so that is uh, interesting that we're computing not only are we about to fucking hit space travel but we've also created quantum bits and we've also measured black holes <laughs> so, so our technology is going fucking insane yeah we still don't have flying cars well we could we could have <laughs> flying cars just exactly. like I don't trust you with a flying car oh I know I know, I know. <laughs> you can just see my Lincoln Town car up yeah. in the air flying around and so you know at the cusp of all of this uh, amazing technological advances, the biggest story of them all is that we are running out of bacon. No! <laughs> yeah. We... <laughs> How does that happen? A global bacon shortage is imminent, according to UK's National Pig Association. Ah, son of a bitch. Um, new data shows the European Union pig herd is declining at a significant rate, and that this is a trend that is being mirrored around the world. Pig farmers have been plunged into loss by high pig feed costs caused by global failure of maize and soya harvests. Right. Um, all main European pig producing countries report shrinking sow herds. And uh, and this is all this is going around all over the world. And uh, <coughs> so we're running out of bacon. <laughs> How and, disappointing is that? I, know. I mean, it could have something to do with the fact that we put bacon on everything. Yeah, I mean, it's delicious. Of yeah, of course I mean, we do. I don't know how I'm supposed to. Be, I don't know how I'm supposed to give up my bacon wrapped hot dogs. Or how is a store called Bacon going to not be able to be called Bacon anymore? Yeah, how are they going to even work? 
I mean, if you think about it, though, you are right. Absolutely right. Almost every single thing that is delicious has bacon in it. <laughs> and they even have bacon milkshakes. I know. I've had one. I know. It's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so the new Humble Bundle. Um, okay. Humble Bundle is like this thing where like, they get a bunch of like independent stuff, they put it together, and then like you can buy it for a single cost, and it's pretty low. And... Um, most you can so let's say they're asking for a minimum of seven dollars and you get all of this shit Mm -hmm. you can then be like well I'll I'll instead pay fifty dollars or I'll instead be whatever you know right and uh, see right now the average is six twenty nine okay then you can take the amount of money that you put aside and you can decide if it goes to Humble Bundle how much of it goes to the developers and how much of it goes to charity okay you can kind of like use a slider to move it around what do you get I mean like what do you explain to me what what does it you you pay $6.29 you get these five games oh okay and if you pay more than that you get these five in addition oh that's pretty cool you get all of this stuff yeah I bought the last one and they also do it with music yeah and I think they also do it with movies what is it charity for (laughs) like what is I'm not really sure I don't really care to be honest with you uh, it's not something I pay too much attention to. Okay. I don't really want any of these games, and plus the ones that I bought last time, I don't think I've really even played any of them. Okay. So it's not really something I'm paying too much attention to. Uh. Yeah, but uh, there are a couple like this Torchlight. That's a good game. I don't know about any of these others. I don't know. None of them ring a bell. Right. <clears throat> um, but uh, there's a new uh, co-op mode for Team Team Fortress Two. It's not that new. It's been out for like a month at least, and. Um, you play, um, it's kind of like, um, Tower Defense, mm-hmm. where you play as characters from Team Fortress 2, and, like, there's, like, a non-stop oncoming horde of robots that are trying to carry a bomb from their spawn point to your spawn point, and you have to stop them. Right. I don't like it. I have not had fun playing it, <clears throat> and it's really hard. Now... We had this discussion before. Are you seeing this a lot, or am I, you know, is it just me who thinks of this? I mean, do you see a lot of medics teaming up with other people? Yeah, I was playing as a medic, and, like, so it has all these different things. Like, you can get items. Like, one of the items you can get is a canteen, Mm -hmm. and you can fill this canteen with, like, up to three different things. One of them is, like, full insta-health. One's, like, ten seconds of, like, critical damage, and one's, like, ten seconds of invulnerability or something like that. And if you drop, if you, you know, if you take one, then you get that. And, like, one of the things... You, then you can buy upgrades for your characters to, like, do more splash damage, do more fire damage, or take less damage, or mm-hmm. take hold more ammo, shoot faster, stuff like that. <clears throat> and one of the ones that the meta can get is, uh... Is, um... He can share his canteen with the person he's healing. So you can, like, be filling up your invulnerability, take a vulnerability, so now you're both invulnerable... And then you're going to be at least full, hit but it again, and you're still vulnerable. Is that only with the person you're playing co-op with, or can it be anybody on your team? It would be the people that you're, the person that you're healing. Oh. So, Regardless. Yeah, okay. it doesn't matter who you're healing. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but it's only like, I think you're going to have like four four players or something like that. Okay. There's a, so, I mean, I mean, I don't know, maybe it gets better. Maybe I just had a bad experience, but I didn't like it. Yeah. Uh, you, also, you also basically have to pay to play it, too. Where um, you can join one of the community servers and play for free, and those are called practice, but you don't unlock anything for doing it. Right. Or you can buy a ticket to go into one of the servers of this Valve handles. Right. And you can then play that. And a ticket costs one dollar, so you pay one dollar and you get a ticket. Okay. You go in, you pay, you play. 
if you manage to survive and beat the game, mm-hmm. then it then it eats the ticket, and you get an item in game that you can use or something like that. Okay. But if you don't manage to pull it off, then it doesn't eat the ticket, and you can try again. Oh, I gotcha. And you can also buy for like two dollars. You can. Um, buy a ticket that lets a whole group in okay. so everyone can pitch in 50 cents or something like that or whatever so there's different ways to do it but uh, yeah well the thing, the thing also about Team Fortress 2 is it's free play too mm-hmm. so they're kind of like making their money off microtransactions yeah so I guess that's okay I've always enjoyed playing Team Fortress 2 yeah it was always a fun game um, they also there's this new Silent Hill movie coming out um, uh, it's called Retribution, I think. And it looks pretty cool. Yeah, it looks really cool, I think. It looks a lot better than the first one. Oh, it's called Revelation. Yeah, Revelation. Yeah. Well, I think the first one was good. I haven't seen it in a long time, though. If I do go see Revelation, I plan on going to watch the first one first. Right. Because it's supposed to be a direct sequel. Right. Which is weird. <clears throat> so, like, Silent Hill... Mm-hmm. And then there was Silent Hill 2. Yeah. And then there was Silent Hill 3. Okay. But the true sequel to Silent Hill 1 was Silent Hill 3. three yeah. Silent Hill 2 didn't really have anything to do with it. So this movie, the first movie was based on the first Silent Hill. The second Silent Hill movie is based on the third Silent Hill game. Right, right, So it's right. going to be a real, real sequel. Yeah, from what it looks like, it looks it looks really, really, really good. And I, I would pay to see it. It's very rare. Yeah, I'd go see it. I mean... Yeah. I, I don't think it looks as good as the first one, but yeah. we'll From see. what it starts off as. I mean, have you seen the full trailer with the little girl? Yeah. She goes to school? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, okay. Um, what else is there? What are you talking about now? Is that the end of it? Is it no. Oh, yeah, the Dark Knight fan film. I totally lost the link to this, but it was really awesome. Did you watch it? I started to, but my my phone wasn't cooperating with me. It teams up the Riddler and mm-hmm. Scarface. You know who Scarface is? Yeah. Who? Well. Huh? I don't remember. It was the puppet. Okay, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. And so... I was thinking of it's really Two-Face good. for some reason. But yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, yeah. It's really good. Um, it's like... And it's based in the Dark Knight universe. So, like, whenever, whenever Batman does show up, he's all like, Ooh, who is he? Who yeah. is he? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, sounds like he smoked a lot of cigarettes before he went to go work out. Yeah, and you know it's also it's also super realistic. Like yeah. the Riddler, the Riddler isn't a kooky guy in the spandex. He's just a guy wearing a green suit who I guess is like an FBI agent or something mm-hmm. like that. And he's like trying to get Batman. And so like at one point in time he's like, "Why are you doing this?" He goes, "Because Batman's a Riddler. And I want to figure him out." And like he says a couple of things that are like sort of like riddles. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. So he's not like over the top and. Scarface is really interesting because he's like a psychopathic old guy, right? Who's like using his ventriloquism. Yeah, it's like really insane. It's pretty good though. Like it's like about twenty minutes long. I think I have to watch it. Uh, so that'll conclude it for the list. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to talk about D and D now, or I guess role playing. So Dust, <clears throat> you don't know anything about role playing, but that is not true. I know a little bit about role playing because yes. I remember someone being in my first D and D group. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was me. I confess, and I do take back the lie that I, I said it's a sin to lie. But yes, I did play. Do you remember what kind of character you played? I was a um, no, I was an archer. I was a ranger. You were a ranger. Yeah, yeah, and I think really you were a human, right? Yeah, I was human ranger. I was and, really happy about that character too. And. Uh, 
fucking Josh was playing a gnome. Josh was a gnome, and then and there was, was Eric. You would, give, you would give him piggyback rides. Yeah, I was yeah, I'd give him piggyback rides. <laughs> Josh enjoyed piggyback rides, but it was kind of like it wasn't like a gay piggyback ride because his, you know, he was facing my face, <laughs> and he was just kind of directing me which way to go. But it was kind of like Yoda brohood, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was kind of like that bro ship. Yeah, that was back when we were playing. Um, we were playing third edition, and uh, I thought it was second edition. No, it was, was it third. third? Okay. It was three. It was three <clears throat> I remember. And um, <coughs> Eric was there, and he had Al Alfric. This came. This character he always plays. Yeah, I can't remember his name though. He always, he he made it sound ridiculous every single time I played. And Tyler was playing. Tyler and Jeremy weren't they? Well, Jeremy came in later. And Tyler, he didn't come in first either, but Tyler was playing a fighter, and Jeremy was playing a bard, I think. Yeah. And even the kid across the street. Next door. Oh, what's his name? He was playing a rogue. Um, oh, you talking about down in the cove? Yeah, no, just the one right there. Next door neighbor. What's his yeah. name? I don't remember. He doesn't live anymore. That's right. Yeah, oh, he was he was playing. Anyway. Uh, rogue. <clears throat> yeah. We only got halfway through that adventure. We were playing, um... It was some, fun, though. We were playing some with Citadel. Uh, yeah. And many people remember that. Um, yeah. The thing is, is like you guys um, ran into one of the most like iconic characters of third edition. Okay. And you killed him immediately. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty epic. You don't you don't remember who you don't even know what I'm talking about. I don't remember what it was, but I remember like the story that we were. Because we, I remember walking, you know, doing the walkthrough. Well, you guys were at the town. Yeah. And then you had to go to the Sunland Citadel, which was like a, at a ravine. Right. You had to like climb down ropes. Right. And then you went inside, and there was uh, you ran into a kobold who was sleeping. That's right. And like you That's had your really you cool. had your bow ready. Yeah. And whenever you woke up, you fucking immediately fucking started throwing yeah. all the arrows. Yeah. You weren't yeah you weren't supposed to do that. <laughs> you were supposed to talk to him because he was like well, he was the one that was going to help you throughout yeah, the I whole. I shot him in the eye, didn't I? I think so. Yeah. yeah I shot him right in the eye. But um, he was uh, his name was Meepo, and like he became. He, I, by the end of the uh, I guess third edition's run, he was like very well loved by the D and D community because people like had he was like a reoccurring character and he would come back and stuff like that. <laughs> and you guys just slaughtered him as soon as you woke up. I just have happy fingers. <laughs> well, you know, you didn't know any better. Yeah, I didn't know to actually talk to the monster. Yeah, <laughs> but After uh, we killed him. Yeah, so y'all guys were supposed to go and like talk to like all of the kobolds. And you remember when you fought the the, the dragon? Mm-hmm. Well, see, that dragon was their pet. Yeah. And the goblins had stole it. Yeah. And so they, the kobolds were going to ask you guys to go get that dragon for them. But you guys ended up killing all the kobolds. <laughs> <laughs> so then you ended up coming across, the, yeah, you ended up coming across <laughs> the goblins. Uh, that's not a big deal. You can do it however you want. Uh, I mean, yeah. So. That's, that's the good thing about playing role-playing games. Yeah. You always have your own storyline if you want to go by. Yeah. But uh, that was a good. That was a good game. Um, yeah. What was that? Like two thousand nine. That was three years ago. Because it was right when I had broken up with Lisa. Yeah. That's when I had started playing D and D. So yeah, that was that. Um, but uh, so you haven't played any of these other games, right? I have not. Playing? Yeah, uh, you need to um, definitely play some. Like, I'm a huge. Like, I don't even really like D and D anymore. To be honest with you, like. I don't even really want to play it because it's so fucking combat. Mm -hmm. Like you guys fight monsters all the time, shit. So, yeah. You know? Like that's not what I like. I like being. Uh, well, for one, I like horror. I like playing Call of Cthulhu: World of Darkness. Yeah. Where 
uh, you are, or you know, all flesh must be eaten. Okay, we had to take a break. We're back. Um, we are now joined by Cody. Hey, Cody. So we uh, we have another person who doesn't play RPGs here. <laughs> back back to what we were saying. So horror gaming is uh, something I much prefer now, um, and mysteries. Like whenever whenever you're you're you make a character and you're told basically you know, <coughs> where you're at. Normal everything's are, everything things are happening. Right. And uh, so you get into it. It's, you know weird stuff starts happening, and you don't quite understand what's happening. And then weird things start happening, and then crazy shit starts happening, and then you start learning more and more and more as you go, until eventually the horrible truth is not only revealed, but it's in your face. Right. And your only job is to fucking, you know, run away and survive. Right. That shit is fucking awesome. Yes. From what you described before in the past, the way those games are is actually extremely cool. Yeah. And you talk about it whenever we hang out. Yeah. So, like, things, like, especially, like, with All Flesh Must Be Eaten... Like, unfortunately, certain games lend themselves, like, an expectation. Like, mm-hmm. when you're playing All Flesh Must Be Eaten, unfortunately, the player knows that he's in a zombie apocalypse scenario. Right. And the zombies are going to show up. And so it's kind of hard to suspend that belief or, like, remove it from the character's <laughs> perspective. Like, uh, you know, some guy shows up and he's been bitten by something. Yeah. Yeah. The player knows yeah. that this guy's going to be turning to a zombie or yeah. something like that. Or a zombie's going to be showing up. Or, like, if you're playing in Call of Cthulhu, you know it's probably going to be involving some kind of, like, mind-bending terrors from out of space and time. Exactly. Uh, so, um, yeah, that kind of sucks. But you have to, like, you know, deal with it. Um, there's other, like, World of Darkness can be different because in World of Darkness, you know, you just know that bad things are going to be happening. There's going to be a monster of some sort, but you don't really know what. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a whole lot of experience with World of Darkness. What know? is World of Darkness? It's just an RPG it's based on like you know uh, we all like the world that we live in there's things that we don't know there's monsters of the night and stuff like that and sometimes normal everyday people are faced with them you know like world of darkness itself kind of lends itself to being based on ghosts you know hauntings and stuff like that but you can use any kind of real monster and you can think of like whenever I first started like looking at world of darkness it doesn't really those games like Especially World of Darkness don't really come with like a um, bestiary on like what kind of monsters there are to use. So like I was like, man, what kind of you know things? If, if I was to play this game, what would I throw at my players? And then I realized what I would do is I would just open up the the Puck and Pathfinder bestiary or the Monster Manual because in um, you know Pathfinder or Dungeons and Dragons, if you come across a dragon or a goblin of some sort that is expected. If we're playing Dungeons and Dragons and you run into goblins or owlbears, that's fine and expected. <laughs> but if you're playing World of Darkness and it's supposed to be us three sitting around and so weird shit starts happening and you run into a goblin or an owlbear, then it's a completely different ex- experience. Right. So I was like, what I would do is I would literally just open up the fucking mo- like, dungeon, like, monster manual or pat- bestiary and fucking pull a fucking monster from that. Yeah. To like, make real actual like re- regular people have to deal with. You said owl bear? An owl bear. You don't know what an owl bear is? No, I do not know what an owl bear is. <laughs> Show us what an owl bear is, Alan. If it's a picture of you, I've seen it. <laughs> oh, it's like an oh an owl, like an owl, like a yeah. owl. Here's a an owl bear. 
Uh, it's fucking epic. Yeah. That's actually a pretty cool looking picture right there, though. Yeah, owlbears are cool. Um, the neck. Where are these found at? These are in D&D and stuff like that. In Africa? They're not real creatures, obviously. Of course. But um, the thing about this monster here is it has a funny story behind it. Like, a lot of the monsters that came from, like, Dungeons and Dragons and stuff in the originals. Like, uh, the owlbear and the rust monster. They both came from. You know, we use those little miniatures when uh-huh. we play? Well, someone didn't really have a good miniature, so they were like, this is what you're fighting. <laughs> and they had something that looked like a bear that had owl features. So, like... That they, became an owl bear. That's how it was Or some kind, of, some kind of weird-looking bug became the fucking rust monster. And they, yeah. now they're, like, official monsters in, you know, lore and canon. So Nice. It's kind of cool how the game... Like, you were talking about the, doc, the, the documentary that's coming out. Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting how some of the, the game has evolved around shit like that, too. Just creating new characters, creating new monsters. Yeah. By accident? Yeah, almost by accident, yeah. Now, when you when you talk about you also play mystery games, like explain what your mystery game would be. Like, what what game would you play? Well, Scooby Doo. Yeah, it's like Scooby Doo. Like, yeah, um, it basically it's still be monster horror. Okay, but yeah. you know, like Call of Cthulhu itself is very much geared toward that because you play inve- you play investigators in Call of Cthulhu. Okay, so there's some kind of mystery or unexplained phenomenon that's going on so you go through and you get bits and pieces of information as you play through yeah so yeah I mean like uh, I know you're probably willing to I don't think that you are but I do want to play a game with you guys sometime in that thread Mm -hmm. because I think it sounds like especially I have one that man I really want to run I'll give it a shot sometime yeah I want to see I want to get people like you and Sarah maybe like Colleen and Neil I think Colleen. I think Colleen yeah. and Neil would for sure play. Yeah, they would. So, yeah, I want to try to give that a shot sometime. See how that plays out. Um. Yeah. So I mean, this is not gonna. I guess that basically wraps it up. Uh, I don't have anyone else have anything to say. Um. For a little while, you were actually playing Warhammer. Are you still playing that? Oh, uh, the still... uh, tabletop miniatures. Right. No, not really. Um. The thing about Warhammer, like, you know, I have I get hobbies in when I get into stuff, you know, when I was like a musician and stuff right, like that, right. you know? And <clears throat> that one didn't really hold, you know, up very long. And mostly because we just never really played and money that needs to be invested into it. Oh, yeah. You know, like, if I ever really had $400 to drop, then I might get more into fucking Warhammer. But then on top of that, I'd have fucking like 150 miniatures I need to paint. Okay. Now... I know you played D&D, and I know you played Warhammer. They're, are they both considered tabletop RPGs, or no. what's the difference between the two? That's what I've never understood. Okay. No, Warhammer Warhammer, and like War Machine, those are war games. Okay. Where you build up, you know, armies, and you... I mean, they all have statistics, I guess. You mm-hmm. know, like, you can, like... You can, like... Okay, here's an interesting thing. Dungeons & Dragons came from wargaming. Right. So the guy, like Gary Gygax, when he created Dungeons and Dragons, okay. he was playing a war game called Chainmail, and so he thought instead of having this like hundred miniatures that I have here, and like they're all faceless and nameless, and they don't have, I don't care about this guy, or I don't care about this guy. Right. He was like, "What is that guy's story?" And so he designed this entire game about you. Instead of instead of playing an entire army, you play one person, and that's where Dungeons and Dragons actually came from. Okay. He wanted to form a story around one single character rather than an entire army. So, 
you can think about like Warhammer just like that. You know, I have an entire army and like they're clashing against another army, and you know, it's tactical. It's like chess. Right. You know, every piece has its how much it can move, what it does, and stuff like that. So, and Warhammer is broken up into phases. Where like first thing you do is you move, and then you do shooting, and then you do magic. And then you do close quarters combat, and then you resolve anything needs to be done, and then it's the next person's turn, and he can move his troops, and then do his shooting, and then do his magic, and then do his close quarters combat, and finish his move, and then it's my turn again. And it does that. You do that for six rounds. Okay. So if you don't have to, you don't have to destroy the other player or wipe out his table off. You just have to do it for six turns. Right. After six turns, you add up the points that each person has accumulated. You add them together, and that's who wins. How long does each turn take? <laughs> It depends on how big the game is. Right. Like, if you're playing, like, Warhammer 40K has rules for, uh, I think it's called Armageddon, where you each it's, each army is expected to be around 50,000 points, which is a fucking lot. Right, You right. need to have, like, two of those tables that I have in there. And one turn can be, like, a night. So it would take, like, six days to play an entire game. Because Oof. you... It would take so much time to fucking move every troop, make sure everything happens, and then resolve every shooting action, and then resolve every fucking magic action, and then resolve... It could take forever. It could take six days? If you're not doing it, I mean, me and Josh play, we usually set aside like four hours easily. But, I mean, even when you play Dungeons & Dragons... Yeah, well, Dungeons & Dragons takes forever. See, Dungeons & Dragons takes forever because of the combat. That's why I don't really like... Dungeons and Dragons or any game that's really combat heavy mm. because that's when the rules really come in. Right. And that's when you need to start looking up rules and make sure everything's being done correctly. Like if I'm I'm casting a spell, well, I need to know what that spell does. So right, I have to bust out right. the fucking bull rule book and make sure I'm reading it and understanding it correctly. Oh no, that spell takes that's a full round action, so you're only gonna be able to start it and then finish it on your next round. Okay, that's yeah. taking an entire round or you know, so that's the thing about like Dungeons and Dragons that, I, like I said, I'm really not a big fan of is because it takes so much time on combat. But not only does it take a lot of time on combat, but that's what it's about. It's about going into dungeons and fighting monsters. You know, so you go into one room, a bunch of goblins, you fight the goblins, you kill them, great. We, walk, we open a door, there's another monster. You open a door, <laughs> there's another, another monster. monster. Yeah. That's all you do in Dungeons and & Dragons. And so. then you search the room that the monster was in, find... So what if you don't know the rules of your character? Is that the DM's job? Or well, the DM has a lot of responsibilities. The DM is the adjudicator of the rules, so you need to you need to be up right. on you know you don't have yeah. to know everything because you need you know you at least at least have a rule book in case you don't know something. But when it's, when I DM, see most no knowing most of the rules on combat isn't really that hard. It's whenever it really comes into like specialized things that you get from feats or magic, because there's a lot a lot of spells, and I don't give a fuck. If, huh. you want, if you want to play a spellcaster, you need to know what your spells do. Right, right. I don't need to be looking up every single spell every single time it's you your, cast it's it. It's your character, yeah. it's your job. I, and like, so far as I want my players to have their shit written down or photocopied so I don't have to go into the book. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of, like, that actually turns a lot of people away from playing spellcasters because of, like that's another step. Like, Has anybody ever tried to cheat? Well, cheating is, you know, there's no reason to cheat. Um, so, you don't... It, whenever cheating happens... It's because someone didn't do the rules right. That's why it's accidental, usually. Now, if you're playing a war game, though, then you could cheat because, you know, you're it's trying... Lying, it's, you, it's, it's, it's me versus you. Right. A rule, with a role-playing game, it's not. We're all just sitting here telling a story. You know, the rules are just kind of abstracted. Like, you don't even really need to use them if you don't want to. Like, if I don't want my players to die, 
you know, you fudge dice rolls, or you just say, you know, you did more damage, or, you know, this thing doesn't have as much HP as it's supposed to, you know. Or if I want to fucking kill you, yeah, you know, right. I, I fudge dice rolls, <laughs> and I say it did more damage than it actually did, you know. Like, it's just part of the storytelling, you know. And the rules there are, you know, because... You know, I could be the guy who holds a sword and I hit stuff with my sword all day, and like I could be like, you know, well, you hit the thing with the sword, you cut it in half, go on with the day, right? You know, but that doesn't make it fun. It's when I built my character and I put all this like because there's this thing called min maxing. It's you know, you people using um, you know RPGs and video games too, where it's called min maxing, where you max one stat, you minimize, you you max as much as much so you as specialize you specialize in one area, and then you minimize as little as you can. So, right. you know. Especially with fighters, you know, like a fighter, you know, I'm heavily armored. I have all this weaponry, and I'm really good at kicking shit's ass. But you take that fighter and you put him in a situation where there's nothing's ass that needs to be kicked. He's fucking useless. Right. You know, like he, he, needs, he needs to use magic or something. Yeah. Like if that. you need magic skills, or if it's a social situation where you need to talk your way out of a situation, you can't do anything. Kind of like me. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I mean, like if you're like you know in like a king's court and you're trying to bargain a favor from him, you know, the fighter isn't going to have any social skills. Right. That's why you usually. That's why you, you try to vary out the skills because everyone's basically in D and D going to specialize in an area. So you have the fighter who's going to kick shit's ass, but he's useless in anything else. And you have the you usually take like a cleric or like a bard who will take care of like you know social situations, especially bards because they're highly charismatic. Or in like if you need magic, you take along a wizard. So in D and D, you only have one character piece, and the people purposely try to like one person wizard one person uh, a you, fighter or yeah, whatever else in general there's, there are archetypes and you want to hold to those archetypes especially if you only have four players you want to have a fighter you want to have a cleric you want to have a wizard you want to have a rogue Okay. the rogue can you know backstab and sneak around the fucking wizard can take care of magic the cleric can take care of keeping everyone alive and the fighter can take care of killing everything if you start moving too far away from those, you're going to start getting hurt. Like, if you take a druid instead of a cleric, because a druid can still heal, but he does other stuff. Right. And so, if it comes down to it and you need a lot of healing, the druid's not going to be able to handle it. If you don't take a fucking fighter and you take something like a paladin, a paladin is not bad for a combat, but he's not as good as a wolf fighter. Or you, can take, or you take something like, I don't know, um, a monk, you know, Monk's more about being dexterous and like jumping off of stuff and like you know doing kung fu. He's not going to even get his hit, you know. So he's not going to die quicker. So you start messing around with the archetypes too much, you're going to start getting hurt. Now, if you're playing it, if you're playing it with a good GM and he understands that, you can start he he can start toning it down <clears throat> or more specifying it toward your particular group. So like, let's say the entire group wanted to play casters and you have a fucking whole fucking group full of fucking casters. Well, if, as long as they do their jobs correctly and kind of like, like, because you can do a lot of inter party planning, like, I'm going to take care of this, whereas you do this, you know? And, like, another thing, like, the cleric. No one ever wants to play the cleric. Because no one ever wants to be someone's hill bitch, and, like, my entire job is to make sure no one else dies. Because I can't, because that's not really fun. Mm-hmm. So, if you're ever sitting at a, if you're ever sitting at a group of people, and they're starting to play D&D, and they're going to make their characters, and someone says, well, I don't really play, I don't really care what I'm going to play. They're playing the cleric. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the upside and downside to being a DM? Well, there's one thing. The upside to being a DM is that you obviously know the story and what's going to happen. Yeah. You, you have all of the power. It's all, you know, it's your story. These are just players in it. Right. 
the downside of being a DM is everyone's always going to want you to DM. Because no one really wants to DM unless you know you really have like a story that you want to tell. You have a good idea. Like, cause I, I would like to play, but I rarely ever get to do. You've been doing it for like what three years now? Yeah, I'm usually the DM. Yeah. Um, just because if I want to play D and D, I have to DM. Because otherwise, my option is to not play D and D. But then it takes away a little bit of level of fun for you, right? Yeah, exactly. I never get to make characters. I never get what to play around with stats. What character would you play as if you were to pick a player if you weren't DM? If I was to play D and D, I've been messing. I have a couple of different ideas for characters. Um, I want to make a. Um, I want to make an oracle mm-hmm. or a um, uh, cavalier, and I would make the cavalier if we needed to have a fighter. Or it's a cavalier. Okay, he's sort of a he's sort of a fighter, and like a cavalier, cool like namely rides on a horse and fights. Cavalry, kind of. Yeah, yeah. But he wouldn't generally be riding on a horse inside of a dungeon. Yeah. You know? So like, what he does more specifically is he is able to rally and like kind of share his abilities with his with his allies. Um. So I would basically be able to give you stuff that I can do, and then you could do it. So that sounds kind of fun, like a, a lot of real, real team oriented. Yeah. Right. Whereas like Oracle is more like a sorcerer cleric. Where okay, so there's a difference between wizards and sorcerers in D anD. d A wizard is a person who decided I want to use magic, and so they've either gone to like an academy or like through self research have learned how to use magic. Right. Now a sorcerer is someone who was born with the ability to use magic and haven't really been trained to use it. So a wizard has a greater um, available amount of spells, but he has to prepare them in advance. And the way that D&D works is it kind of tries, in a, in a sense, to replicate reality. It has a lot of rules based, you know, from, like... And you can use as much as you want. You don't have to use any that you don't want to use. Right. But, like, the idea with wizards and how magic works is that you can't just cast a magic spell. You have to prepare it and cast it. And the cast takes a ritual. And so the way that a wizard prepares his spells so that he can use them during combat is at the beginning of the day, he performs the ritual and just doesn't finish it. So he's, he's done the whole ritual, and it's prepared and done, and all he has to do is complete the ritual. So that's how you immediately cast spells as a wizard. So in the beginning of the day, a wizard has to set aside an hour of time to sit down and prepare all of his spells that he's willing to cast that day. And so for the rest of the day, all he has to do is complete that particular spell and a cast. You follow? What do you have to actually do in game for that? To complete yeah, you that? just you just you just say my character at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the game day. You say my character prepares the spells. Okay, so it doesn't, it doesn't like take away a role from you or anything like that. No. No, you don't. You don't have, and because because a cleric has to do the same thing. A cleric has to like you, a cleric has to pick a time a time of day that he does his prayers. It's generally the beginning of the day, and you say, you know, I do. I prepare my spells, and he, you know, prays to his god and whatever. And his god bestows upon him his spells for that day, and so now he's able to cast the you know his spells because divine magic works different than arcane magic. Uh, now the way a sorcerer works. Is a sorcerer when you make him has a number of spells and he doesn't get any more, and like he can cast those spells. Like he, he has charges, so he has an expend he has an expended charge to cast a spell, but he can cast any of those spells he wants. Mm-hmm. Whereas a wizard prepared this spell, so when he casts and completes that spell, that spell's gone. So a wizard has to make a list of like the number of spells he has a day. Whenever he's done, whenever he casts that spell, he marks it off. He can't cast it again. Whereas a 
like sorcerer will have a shorter list of spells, but like a number of times that he can cast any spell he wants. Okay, so say you get in a dungeon and you don't know the dungeon is a bunch of ice monsters and you only have one fire spell you're not going to be able to use anymore. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of cool. So a, a wizard has to, like, so in general the way it works is a wizard is more utility. Because he's going to, you want to you take spells that are always going to be useful and always going to work, whereas a sorcerer will take spells that are destructive. Like, you know, because the way that a, a sorcerer is sort of envisioned is that his spells just kind of go off. Like, he just starts casting spells. He doesn't really know what he's doing. So he's kind of destructive. Like, they're kind of like, you know, they're liabilities. You know, they're not really, like, accepted into social, like, social, you know, activities. Because who knows when they can blow up. So the sorcerer is kind of like, he's considered an outcast. And so he takes more destructive spells that are... So whenever you need damage, you take a sorcerer. Whenever you need utility, you take a wizard. Right. How many of these tabletop games do you have? Um, quite a few. This is one. That's one. I have Pathfinder D and D, Call of Cthulhu, All Flesh Must Be Eaten. Uh, I have you know World of Darkness. Well, which one did you say was your favorite, and why? <sighs> Probably Call of Cthulhu, because of the um, the, the mythos behind it and the Cthulhu mythos. What's Call of Cthulhu? Call of Cthulhu uh, was a so there's a writer called H.P. Lovecraft. Um, who was a contemporary of Edgar Allan Poe, whom you've heard of, and H.P. Lovecraft, you probably haven't. He just never got as popular. In the literary world, he is, but in general, he's not. But he wrote, um, whereas Edgar Allan Poe wrote, you can go. No, it's, it's, I'm going to wait a minute. I gotta, I gotta Edgar Allan Poe wrote gothic horror, which is the typical kind of things that were supposed to be written about at that time, werewolves, vampires, ghosts. H.P. Lovecraft wrote cosmic horror, which is the idea that we are mere ants compared to the the, the, like the entities of the cosmos. Okay. So yeah. there's like these like like Cthulhu is the name of one of them. He's a great old one. And according to the mythos, Cthulhu is on Earth, down at the bottom of the ocean, sleeping in a city called Riley. And one day the stars will align, and Cthulhu will awaken, and Riley will rise from the sea, and Cthulhu will come marauding across the world, destroying. Them. So. There, he wrote a story called Call of Cthulhu that uh, some people... So whenever he starts becoming um, more active, like dreamers, insane people, and artists will start having actual conversations and like dreams and stuff like that with like Cthulhu, and like they'll start affecting his dreams. So in the book, like it was it was written like it was written it was written like a documentary, like World of the Worlds was. Remember like, when that first one was released? It was a radio program. Yeah. And it tricked people, and people thought fucking aliens were actually attacking the world. Yeah. Sort of the same thing happened with Call of Cthulhu. People thought it was an actual, like, journal. My heart. Yeah. <laughs> and so they were, like, reading it, and, like, it was, like, an account of this time that this guy, his uncle, was mysteriously killed. So he started researching his uncle. And his uncle had done some research on this, like, fucking um, cult. That had this like, um, you know that little thing I have on my dash? Yeah. That's Cthulhu, and that's um, a uh, like a statue. And like he found these statues and these carvings all over the world, like this weird cult worshiping this deity. And so he does some more research, and like eventually he comes across this guy who was a sailor, and the sailor had this like, and all of these weird things are happening with these dreamers and these insane people and artists all around the world have all been having these same dreams of like this weird city under the waves. 
And so he comes across the sailor, and the sailor like tells him the story about how he was out and like the storm was happening, and they got crashed upon this island. And this island, like this, this island was like all fucking like the geometry was wrong on it. And at some point in time, like Cthulhu came out, and like something happened, and it was like you know, so it's a story. And so H.P. Lovecraft wrote, wrote all of these stories about the. The, the great old ones and the elder gods and they all kind of have a mythos and they're all like kind of interwoven and after H.P. Lovecraft died uh, one of his friends was such, like, such a fan of like his writing that he continued to write about the mythos itself and so other, other authors have continued to write about the mythos itself so now there's like this whole flushed out like universe about these elder gods and these terrible things from the fucking you know universe and there's a cult that worships them and every now and then they begin to almost creep into our world and like terrible things happen. Most of the time these things take place on the eastern coast around New England. And so the game Call of Cthulhu that we play is based on that. And it takes place generally in the twenties. So you you know, you have like technology of the twenties. Uh, and you you know, some strange thing starts happening. So and you play as you know when I, when you when I say you play as investigators, that's just what the player is called. You can be whatever it is. You're just a regular person who, you know, whatever, and like you happen to stumble upon some terrible event, and you begin invest- investigating the events, and you go from point, you know, location, location, investigating these strange things until eventually the, ter- the terrible truth is revealed. So, <clears throat> a game like that, you don't actually have to prepare your own character and know your own spells and all that stuff. No. Well, no. The thing about Call of Cthulhu also is because, like, you know, the Necronomicon. Yes. See, the Necronomicon came from H.P. Lovecraft. The, it, it was, it's like it was according to H.P. Lovecraft it was written a long time ago by this Arab guy called um, Al Hazrad and so there's like four copies of the Necronomicon in the world according to the mythos and there's um, one of them is in Arkham University in Arkham it's not Arkham University it's um I can't remember the name but it's in Arkham Massachusetts which is not a real city and so the university is also not a real university but they're basically main plot points in the Call of Cthulhu mythos. So, some like a lot of times it has something to do with the Necronomicon. But there's other tomes that are like just as terrible. And so, Call of Cthulhu has an, in in the Cthulhu mythos in H.P. Lovecraft's writing, the protagonists generally die or go insane from the terrible truths that have been revealed to them. So, the game itself has a sanity system where whenever you create your character you'll have a sanity rating and every single time some really bad thing happens like you come across a body you have to test your sanity and if you fail it your sanity will lower and if you low if it lows low enough you'll take on like a temporary insanity where it could be something like you know paranoia or it could be something as bad as like an indefinite insanity where you have like delusions of grandeur all the time or something like that and so those are role make, like role play mechanics you're supposed to roll that role play that out um and uh, um, I forgot what I was saying. So these tomes, if you ever read these things, they are terrible, terrible things, and you'll lose insanity. But they have spells in them. So Call of Cthulhu, the game, has magic in it, and you can cast those magic spells, but to, like, to cast them, you have to sacrifice some of your sanity so your character goes more and more insane and becomes basically a member of the cult as he does this. But I've never one time ever used a spell in Call of Cthulhu. And Nick, you, you'll, you'll generally play Call of Cthulhu for years and years and years before you even have access to a spell because they're so rare and like you have to find one of these fucking tomes and then you have to start casting, you know, losing your sanity to use them. So generally, you don't have to mess with magic in Call of Cthulhu. 
but what's in the game. Okay, well, what game would you want to play with us if we came over here and we got a... Uh, if I was to play with you guys, it would be Call of Cthulhu, maybe World of Darkness. Because Call of Cthulhu, like I said, it generally takes place in the 20s, but World of Darkness doesn't. It takes place in the now and here. So it's more easy easy to um, you know approach and understand and envision in your head. Also, maybe call, like all the flesh must be eaten because zombie games <laughs> are fucking awesome. And like a good like, like one thing that you can do with with all flesh must be eaten is you can take like us three right now could be playing all flesh, and I can start off by saying, "So we're sitting in my room, and we're fucking talking, and then all of a sudden zombies appear. Go." And so you have to literally have to like decide how if right now zombies were to uh, show up, how we what we would do. So you know that's one interesting way to play the game itself. So if we did something like that. I'd probably play like you know, World of Darkness, Call of Cthulhu, or uh, now what was the game that we uh, I have played with you before? One of their outbreaks. Oh, that uh, board game, um, Pandemic. Pandemic. Yeah. That one was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Those are. It's not going to be like that because that's a, that's a board game. Yeah. But uh, this is going to be more like you know you saying what your character's going to be doing. And then I, I decide whether or not you need to make a role on that. Yeah, I wouldn't mind trying playing Pandemic again sometime. No, that game was fun. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I guess... Uh, oh, like, like, there's, there's other games that have all kinds of crazy like things. Like this thing right here. This game, Monsters. Um, you play as little children who have pet monsters. But the monsters themselves are like terrible beasts. Like They um, feed off of your emotions... And so, like, they're your best friend, and, like, they just showed up one day, and you had a pet monster, and, um, so they feed off your emotions, so, like, they're your best friend, and they always want to do what they can to make your life better, um, if that, even if that includes eating someone, <laughs> you know, like, who's being a bully. Yeah. So, the, the, the game is a really, really dark side to it, and, like, it's kind of hard to be, like, how do I roleplay a little kid? You know, how, and, like, you can place the kid in elementary school, middle school, or high school, um, and then the thing about the monsters themselves is the player plays the kid, but control of the monster is both the kid, like the player and the GM. So while the, the monster's hiding, because in general it's it, it's it's understood that monsters hide from plain view, so the game is kind of allegory also on invisible friends. Um, so while the monster's hiding in plain sight or something like that, you know, the GM kind of be like, well, while you were away, the monster was over there eating the bully, and you didn't know that. Yeah. So now it gets the child in trouble, and the child needs to fucking deal with the situation. Like by he's up his emotions, right? So yeah. he knows that he's in trouble. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, the game is about relationships, and, like, like, one of the things that your character gets is a relationship that he can, like, put on the line. Like, it could be, like, your mom. It could be, like, brothers or a friend. Or it could be, like, your blanket. Or your favorite television show, anything that's really important to the character, yeah. and any time that you're making a uh, role, you can. This one's way more freeform. Uh, <clears throat> like you, like there's one ability that whenever like you're making a monster, you can be like my monster's right arm has the useful ability, and that means that in some way it's useful. You can decide how, like at, at the point in time, like so, like whatever it is that he could possibly think that you think that he could do with that useful hand. Like he's, you know, he can do with it. So you can take your relationships and be like, well, I have a relationship with my mom, so I have to take a math test today. And my mom gave me a pep talk this morning, so now I can add my relationship dice to the dice I would go have to roll on that math test. So it gives me a higher chance of succeeding at it. 
problem is if you put your relationship on the line and you still fail that relationship becomes shocked and lowers so now like your mom might get pissed off at you because you fucking failed the math test whereas before she would have been known you know so <clears throat> you have to like balance your relationships and use them to help you but you can, you put them in danger when you do okay what's the object of this game oh it's just whatever you know it's just you know um, so not all these not all the games per se have an object where you can just win no yeah most of them don't the only time that you would really have like a clear cut objective is like if you're playing like Dungeons and Dragons and you've been told by the local mayor that there's a fucking band like a band of goblins been ra- raiding caravans go kill them I guess sometimes it's also the object is to just survive yeah if you're playing right? Call, if you're playing All Flesh Must Be Eaten the object is to not be killed by zombies yeah <laughs> you know so yeah whenever I I my, the first adventure that I ever really wrote and put together myself was one for All Flesh Must Be Eaten in which the characters were on a cruise ship and a at a, a brand new island that had like become accessible because the barrier reef had broken away mm-hmm. that they had built a new resort on that island but that island had been secluded and isolated from the world till, till now and so they were on a cruise ship and they stopped at the island which they had the new resort and when they were about, when they were getting back on the boat they saw someone getting rushed on who by, by a medical crew that, that guy had been bitten by a zombie which was like an ancient zombie from like the previous um, tribe that lived on the fucking island who were like, really into cannibalism and they made zombies as biological weapons to send to fight other tribes and so the zombie was on the island the guy got bit got put back on the boat with the players which they, he then rose ro- ro- a zombie and started going around the boat turning dun, out dun, zombies dun. Yeah, so right. when I wrote this adventure I didn't give the characters a way out <laughs> I was like if they, if they managed to get to safety that's going to be on their own accord so I, I didn't even write a way for them to fucking complete the mission. I was like, this is what's happening. You're on a boat. You're not far from the island. If you want to get to the island, you can. But there's zombies on the island. <laughs> so figure it out. <laughs> Have fun. And so that's, they, they ended up, they, what they did was like, I had put, like, I was like, since this is a um, kind of isolated island and it's a resort, they're going to need security forces. So I, I wrote in that there was a PMC you know that had been hired to protect you know the resort and that PMC had a base which had a helicopter and so they went there and the PMC guys got them off the island on their helicopter and that's how they survived but uh, it was how many pretty people actually survived all of them survived unfortunately <laughs> I generally don't I, I generally don't t- don't try to kill characters um, but every now and then if it's been like a good long time like when we played D&D for like that year and a half like the characters would be going hard and good and strong for a good long time, and I was like, "Well, it's time to slap." You played. You played one game for a year and a half. Yeah, one one campaign. Damn. Yeah, and well, that's and that's generally in D and D how you have to do it because there's you gain experience and then gain levels, so you have to you know run a campaign for the characters to get through the levels. Okay. Otherwise, you would just be playing a one shot, and you know just whatever. Because like, <clears throat> the way I see it, whenever you start a character and that character's weak and shitty and you fight with him all the way through and like you get another level and then you get something cool and you get another level and you get something cool then you get new equipment you're emotionally attached to it oh, yeah. you care about it you've, you've used this character and his abilities and watched him grow then if you started a character and the, the character like the DM was like make that character level 10 and so you go there and you fucking crank out the character and now he's level 10 but you don't know how he got this ability or why he has this ability or where he's got this equipment at just like that you don't care about any of that 
It's whenever like you have that fucking sweet ass crossbow that you got from the fucking dude on the fifth level of the fucking terrible fucking dungeon. Yeah. You know, you care more about that crossbow. You know, so uh, that's why I don't think I would ever really start a game without starting a character at level one. Which is also why I don't think I'll ever start another D and D game because, because I've played level one characters way too much. Well, it seems like it'd be hard to keep a group of guys together too. It was. That that's the hardest thing about playing these games is getting f like four or five full grown ass adults who have lives and shit going on to all have one four hour block of time where they can all meet at the same time. Yeah, that's the hardest thing about playing these games is getting everyone together and having it actually work out. So, especially when you can do it for a year and a half, like it's basically we all basically made a commitment every Thursday, we meet at Conan's, and you know that's what we do at six thirty. And sometimes you can't make it; someone has to go to work, or someone has like a you know funeral to go to, or something, so you have to cancel it. But but mostly, you know, we were able to make it. So I, in in general, we were there every week unless someone had to cancel. So what if just one person can't show up? Do you do something with the character? Do you cancel it? Well. If somebody else if, playing if the one, DM plays character. If one person can't show up, you can usually just kind of like pretend like he was never there to begin with. Yeah. Or the DM can play him and be like, "This is happening," which I wasn't going to do. I'm already too busy fucking running the game. But is he going to be lower level or something like no. that? No. Well, I don't. I didn't. I mean, whenever it came to handing out experience, I was just kind of like random about it. I was like, "Okay, you guys, go ahead and level up." Like you know, you're supposed to be. I mean, you, you like. Because I, I didn't make them do every single fucking encounter because I thought they were extraneous and didn't need to. Like, I was more concerned with getting to the fucking adventure than making sure they went to this one room and fought this monster. Yeah. So I was like, you know, you guys lost experience for not fighting that monster, but I don't fucking care because I don't want you to. So just go ahead and level up. So I had to, you know, the players generally on the same level. I didn't really... I wasn't too hardcore about keeping track of experience points. But, um... Yeah, uh... Um... I can't remember... Yeah, I don't remember what I was going to say. You got any input, Dustin? I've, I've learned a lot. <laughs> I mean, from what you're talking about, yeah, I definitely, I mean, from what I've learned in the past well, when I, we were talking about D&D. Do you remember how D &D. Dustin, Dustin played D&D? &D. Dustin started playing D&D &D with me when I, I first started. Do you remember right. what level your character was? Two or three. I think it was like two there. or three, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, I... My guy was pretty deep. I couldn't play a game for that long. I wouldn't mind trying to play some of these board games with you, you know what I mean? But I, can, I don't think I can make a commitment for that long or yeah. something. The well, game I actually enjoyed playing with you, remember that game where like you owned land? Oh, yeah, Settlers of Catan? Yeah, Settlers of Catan. That was a really, really fun game that me, you, and Josh, and I think Eric played with us. I yeah. think I may have tried to play with you once, or we tried playing it, or maybe you just brought it over to the house a couple times. But I think we just brought... I think I want to say that we did play it, but I, I think we did too. I, I, played, I think I played two games with you. I think it was that outbreak game or whatever. And yeah. then, uh, oh, actually, um, one of the games I actually enjoyed playing with you too was Zombies. No, I don't like that game. I liked it. I don't think the system's very good. Where it's like you run, like you don't get to move around enough. Yeah. And like the, the so combat I, system is like one through three, you win. Yeah. Four through six, you lose. That's so. what I noticed too. I mean, I, it was a very enjoyable game, but at the same time, it was kind of like. I think if you had the cool, it gets if, old fast. If you could get, if you could get the, because the thing about it is, is like, you, you, I think that if you could get the, the survivors to work together, mm -hmm. that would be great. But the point of the game is that everyone gets to move zombies on their turn right. to attack the other right. players. So how are you supposed to have the players fucking work together when they're also working, working <laughs> against each other? So I don't know. 
Like, there's a bunch of fucking expansions for that game. There's like nine or ten. Yeah. And I think maybe if you got expansions for it, or like if you didn't have the players immediately take the um, Ross's hat. Yeah. Like the helipad that you're supposed to get to yeah. to win. Yeah. And like they always put it as far away as possible, and like the zombies keep respawning, and like you can't get through there. You can't. It's ridiculous. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's what you're supposed to do: is have the players work together up to a point. Yeah. And it becomes like I need to get out of here and not the other players. So exactly, then, you, yeah. then you have them go after each other. Maybe like, we have to try the coolest hats hat. ever. That's yeah. a really nice hat. It's Chainsaw Massacre. I like this hat right here. It's really cool. Yeah. If you come across any hats like that anymore, dude, let me know. Did you buy that hat? No. Okay. Uh, I think I filled out a form they sent me. Cool. Alright, well, I guess we'll end this episode. That wraps that one up. Yeah. Thanks for coming out with me, guys. I hope you all learned something. Not a problem. Yep. All right. Have a nice day.